0: We're here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and psychic medium Stephanie Burke. And uh, I think we've got everybody... I had to put everybody into mono over here, Matt, but we should be good now. And uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night broadcasting live on WBSM because it's not quite really Red Sox season yet, so for right now we can be on the air. But then pretty soon the games will be on Saturday nights. And then we'll be broadcasting solely on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, except next week. Next week, everybody can take the week off. That is true. You're you're not around anyway, right? Nope,
1: I'll be in Virginia.
0: And Moni's?
2: I'll be in Hadley, Mass.
0: You've got that thing going on, which we'll be talking about tonight. And uh, and Matt, if you want, you can come to wrestling with me. Yeah. Just because. On the Cape? Yeah.
2: I don't know if I'm allowed.
0: Orleans. They'll stop you with the bridge.
2: They might. I don't have my passport.
0: <laughs> you don't have dual citizenship <laughs> no. of uh, both Massachusetts and Cape Cod. But uh, we, I'll be at wrestling in uh, Orleans for a House of Bricks. So, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna make Lauren pick me up anyway. Why drive to the Cape if I don't have to. She's gotta drive anyway. Be like Lauren, just pick me up. There you go. She has got a much nicer car than me, anyway. <laughs>
1: I did see it roll up the last time you came back. So. Yeah, it's
0: pretty fancy. It is so much
1: fancier than yours. You're
0: gonna go to the Cape. I mean, you gotta kind of roll up in style if you can. We're talking about go. money. Although it is, it's March on the Cape, so a lot of the money isn't so it really doesn't around. Doesn't really matter. Yeah, yet. but still, if I can, if I can pull up in the car and not only that, but not be driving, makes you look even more important.
1: See, I just don't like to drive, so I make you drive.
0: Well, usually, usually it's you have to drive because you've got more space.
1: I haven't had to drive in a while, though. We've squeezed everything into your car. Don't
0: worry. You will be soon, I'm sure. Or actually, we'll make John drive. He's got more space.
1: Right. Actually, I think I have more space, but still. Don't don't tell him that. I'm not going to tell him that.
0: And uh, so we are going to be talking about the paranormal. And uh, tonight we're actually going to be talking about Bigfoot because uh, we have joining us in just a bit Cliff Barrickman, who you know from Finding Bigfoot. And uh, this is going to be a, a fascinating show because I've noticed... And I haven't watched a lot of Finding Bigfoot, but in the in the episodes that I've seen, you know, they're very much biologically, physically based. So uh, we, we will bring up some of the more out there theories of Bigfoot and Cliff can either put up with them or, you know, tell us we don't know what we're talking about. But they let the, the Supernatural Bigfoot team talk about it in the episode that I saw with uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk, so... But uh, we'll be talking about Bigfoot, and we'll p- be taking your calls as well, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. All I want for Christmas is for this headphone jack to, to work correctly. <laughs> How long until Christmas? It's a long time. So uh, one of the things, uh, though, that uh, we we're going to get into tonight, and, and we, uh, we kind of mentioned it a little bit with Moni's there, but uh, but Cliff is actually coming to Massachusetts. He's coming to take part in an event, and you're going to be going to check it out. Correct. And uh, so this is, you've been working with the, the Massachusetts-based version of the BFRO team, right?
2: Correct. I've been working with a group of, called Massachusetts, headed up by uh, John Wilkes. Uh, they are a part of a BFRO team. I've uh, been uh, involved in investigating for them down here in the southeastern Massachusetts region. And uh, they're feeding me reports and i feed them reports of what we get and uh they're they're actually a very very good bunch of guys uh dave McCollin uh has come down on a number of occasions and we've gone through the woods and uh we've enjoyed uh sharing you know the stories back and forth
0: so this is kind of like, uh, you know, to, to liken it for the, to the ghost people, uh, this is kind of like the TAPS family thing where there's the yeah. main organization where they have different other groups that kind of fall into their umbrella. Right. But they're their own autonomous groups and it's just kind of a big formal network.
2: Right. Right.
0: So if you are in Massachusetts and, and you have a Bigfoot sighting that you want to report or, you know, if you are interested in getting involved in the research, you would contact the squatch of group. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, I noticed going through some of the episodes, I haven't really seen. It didn't look like there was any episodes that took place in Massachusetts yet.
2: No, they were scheduling to do one, and things happened with Animal Planet and the show, and you know.
0: And none in Rhode Island either, too. With yes, the, they did. do did Rhode Island. They did the roadie creature, yes. big Rhodey? Because I didn't see that, but then in again, they're looking on, on Maine
2: and New Hampshire, and I believe Vermont. I saw, Massachusetts was the only one they left out.
0: I noticed going through the episodes that not every episode was there on the on demand, but correct. Uh, that's that's when this show first came out, and everybody was like, "Oh, you have to watch this show!" I, I didn't even have Animal Planet like on my cable, <laughs> so I never really got caught. And I I do now, but I don't know when I got it because I never <laughs> added it. Like it just showed up at one point. I'm like, "Oh, I guess now I have Animal Planet." So although I did switch from Verizon to Comcast at one point, so maybe that's when I ended up getting it. That's why I have it now, but I didn't then. But I was just like, when, when we booked Cliff for the show, I said, let me go and see if I can check out some of the episodes. And I talked into my remote, and I said, Finding Bigfoot, and they came up. I was like, oh, I guess I can watch it then. Or maybe it's it could also be like tied into the Netflix and all that stuff that's on the cable box now. But I'm sure you know a lot of you have seen the different episodes and have questions that you want to ask about specific cases. 508 996 500 877-996-1420 will be the numbers to do so. You said you're in Virginia next weekend?
1: I am in Virginia next weekend. I will be in Mineral.
0: And, and who's going to be in Virginia with you?
1: Uh, Scott Porter will be with me, and we will be investigating the S- Dunlora Inn.
0: You're assuming that he's going to make it out of this weekend okay?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Okay. Did he make it to the uh, tailgate party last Yes, night? he did. Because I noticed that the kind of last-minute change there.
1: Yeah, there was a, a big old change last minute. So... Big old problem.
0: We'll see, uh, we'll see if he makes it to Virginia next week. I'm sure he will. He's not a big party animal. He doesn't have a choice.
1: If he doesn't show up, he's in trouble.
0: And uh, so and we'll, we'll have some other things that are going on as well. Uh, and, of course, uh, we're coming up real soon on, on Mount Washington, too.
1: Super soon, and I'm really excited for that. I'm excited to get back there.
0: You know, I was really excited about going, too, and then all of a sudden, winter came to New England over the yeah. last week, and now I'm like, maybe I don't want to go to Mount Washington in April with all you weirdos and get stuck up there in a snowstorm.
1: Why not? That's like the best thing ever.
0: Uh, well, I Admit
1: guess, it. Admit it.
0: I guess the, the the good part about it is, if I'm up there, I don't have to shovel any of it. Right, so I don't which have is to perfect, so we don't have to worry that's, about anything. That's why I hate snow so much, is the shoveling.
1: I went last year the first week of May and i saw every single season including a rainbow <laughs> while i was up there well, so
0: i guess if i don't have to show let's just put a plow on the front of john's truck just in case i
1: don't think it's going to be an issue i think they're used to that stuff up there all right so i'm excited to go i can't wait to and check
0: uh, that out. not only are tickets still available are there any available there's a special deal we still
1: have some available with our discounted tickets so make sure to go to brightstarpromotions.eventbrite.com and join us for and, a crazy 3-day weekend
0: and, uh, and those special discounted tickets were made available by uh, some by friends. By
1: our very good friends at Hawaii Paracon. Lopaka is awesome. And... Uh I will be in Hawaii for their first Paracon this summer. So go to hawaiiparacon.com and check out who will be there and get your tickets and come hang out with me on the beach.
0: And and the BFRO has even looked for Bigfoot on Hawaii. Well, actually, Littlefoot on Hawaii. Yeah. They're, Littlefoot. they're smaller creatures yes. on Hawaii. but uh, and we can, we can talk to Cliff about that, too. But I've noticed that these paranormal shows, they keep finding ways to go to cool places mm. to look for the paranormal. Like, you know... Like Hawaii. Bigfoot researchers go to Hawaii... <laughs> You know, Ghost Asylum guys go to Hawaii, like...
2: Bigfoot and Bora Bora. Hmm.
0: How come Spooky South Coast just has to stay here and do the show? You write here? for
1: those shows and get them to Hawaii, and you run Spooky South Coast and we don't go to Hawaii. you, know, you want I'm, to talk about this? I
0: actually spent uh, the Spooky last... Spooky South Coast, Demons in Des Moines. Right. The last season of Ghost Asylum, uh, before they stopped doing it in that form, uh, they were looking for... You know, they were like, well, we want tropical locations because... Well, don't blame them. Well, they were filming in the wintertime. Right. Which, you know, you make it sound like they're just trying to go on vacation, but it's because of the way the, the time of year they had to film. They're like, don't give us any northeast cases. Right. You know, give us stuff that's down south or, you know, in, in warmer tropical locations. And so I started looking into some of these and that's that's when I said, I said you know, you're going to need me to be like on yeah. set for some of these. Like, especially there was a, there's an abandoned water park, an abandoned uh, marine park yep. in... Uh, Miami, that I really wanted them to do, but it's it's just one like st- concrete, mm. uh, you know, state like like the Brockton Fair, okay. where you sit at the Brockton Fair yep. to watch the demolition derbies. It was just like one thing like that, and then they used to have a pool in front of it where they would have like uh, killer whale shows and stuff. But I just when I saw it, I was like, there's something about that place that makes me want to go there. I don't know what it is, but there's something about Miami's that place I want not to check that out. Great. No, I don't want to go to Miami no, in general, no. I just I, I just go back. I spent five minutes in Florida. That was five minutes more than I needed to.
1: Actually Florida's Florida's fine. Miami? Eh.
0: Nah, I was just in It an wouldn't be my too. first
1: choice of where I'd go Palm to Florida. Beach. Great
0: area.
1: I, I mean anywhere but Miami, mm. I think.
0: Florida. Mm.
1: Never never go to the Bahamas. Ever. Oh, like,
2: I enjoyed the Bahamas. Nope. Although mm-hmm. there was a lot of coconut rum involved, too. Oh, so. then
1: that's probably why you did. Trust
0: me. <laughs> Just don't leave your shoes around. That's those I don't people, think I wore people, shoes the entire time I was there. People, <laughs> love, people love to steal shoes. That's bizarre. T- the tourist shoes. Well, because they don't get them down there. Like it's very bizarre. The, you know, when you go into the shoe store in, in a tropical location, you find a lot of sandals and right. things like that. So when people show up with like, you know, Jordans, mm-hmm. although people steal Jordans everywhere. Like, you could walk out of this studio right. and somebody could take your Jordans from you. But uh, not mine, because I just have, like, store-bought Jordans. I don't have, like, fancy special edition Jordans.
1: I have never owned a pair, so I don't know.
0: I never did. Uh, Until I had a, recently. I had a pair that I bought at the Salvation Army one time, mm-hmm. but they were Derek Jeter Jordans, so I never uh, wore them anywhere because, you know, Derek Jeter. Well, yeah. But uh, these ones I bought, you know, I got like I paid, like, 30 bucks for them at I
1: remember Marshalls. you saying that.
0: And uh, they're the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned. So
1: I'm not, um, still not sold.
0: We will do a whole episode one time about my sneaker preferences because it's paranormal. It definitely is. I have and, to agree with that. And just how I have to be about shoes. Uh, but uh, speaking of big feet, because you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I do wear a size 13. <laughs> nice segue. But uh, right. I, don't, I don't think that uh, nobody would ever mistake me for being one of these hairy hominid creatures out in the woods. Uh, I do need a haircut, but uh, I don't meet the height requirement. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I was watching. Uh, I was watching uh, some videos online, and they're talking about. Uh, well, you know, he was definitely taller than a full-grown adult male, and I was like, "But I'm a full-grown adult male, and I have a 13-year-old that's taller than I am now." So that's not a really good, accurate description. You mean the average full-grown adult male, in which I am not.
2: Bigfoots don't always start off eight feet tall. Yeah, yeah, they do have to grow up.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe uh-huh. I still can too. Maybe. There's there's hope. Yeah. There's hope. I, I keep holding out hope for one more growth spurt, but
2: or another set of Jordans that have lifts in them.
0: As as one doctor told me, at this point, you do not want to have a growth spurt because it would be the most painful thing to ever have to go through. Okay. To be you know forty years old and have to go through a growth spurt would not be good. I wonder why it would be painful. So have, have you met the the Bobo guy, James Fay?
2: No, I haven't personally met. Him.
0: All right, because we'll ask Cliff because they use him as the. The guide, and I'm just wondering, you know, yeah, how tall he's he six, is. Six, 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 yeah, so we're talking brightman sized. Yeah, that's that's not the average male for anybody that has seen John Brightman. That is <laughs> no. not average. That's average for a Frankenstein monster. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, which I have called him that on more than a few occasions. I'm sure you have. Well, I say, I say that when they bring the mayor in, and like, oh, I got to go adjust the uh, adjust the microphone uh, microphone height and the camera height for Franken Mayor.
1: Frank and Mayer. Yes. Oh, my God.
0: I just I say that with love.
1: Wow. Okay. Hmm.
0: <laughs> there's all kinds Silent. of other videos on WBSM. It's not just Spooky South Coast. You guys can check them out. Uh, there's some, some very hey, interesting Hey, I've ones. listened to WBSM. We, there was an Oak Ridge Boy on WBSM TV just last week. You, do you like the Oak Ridge Boys, Monies? I don't like country music, so.
2: Country music? Yeah. Not really a fan.
0: I know Stephanie likes some country, but I, I, don't, do. I don't know if you like the Oak Ridge Boys. That's more old school. I don't know. They're, they're playing in New Bedford. I did see that. Yeah, sing it. <laughs> uh, uh, Are you guys going to sing? Uh, I'm trying to think of how it goes.
1: Oh, this will be good. I can't wait.
0: Oh, that, uh, it's the Elvira song, right? Yeah. But it's... Is there another <laughs> <laughs> one? that I'm aware of. Uh, but, uh Yeah. No, I'm not going to sing Elvira, but we were, we we were singing it the other night though in the in the newsroom because we couldn't get it out of our heads.
1: I'm a little sad that you're not going to sing on air.
0: Uh, no, I sang um, the week that I was filling in for Taylor. I sang on Phil's show. I sang the Mister Ed theme. Did you really? I did.
1: You'll sing that, but you won't sing this.
0: No, because Mister <laughs> Ed, Ed theme is no. more in my range.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So uh, and it was and it was more you know called for. At the time, it was more of a, a spur of the minute. Oh, what, what, Mister Ed? Horse spur? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, what it, it was? It was a spur you. of the moment thing. Uh, Phil just happened to play the theme song, and I was singing along in the news booth. And then when he cut the song, I kept going. Hmm. So it wasn't okay. really like it was planned. But uh, I did, I did make a little audio clip of it, and I put it out there.
1: Did you? Yeah. I must have missed it. I'm gonna have to look for it.
0: There was a. a a person that requested it, so I said, all right, I'll, I'll put the audio well, up. I don't blame it. him. Nobody wants to hear that. Paul uh, Balzano used to like to sing, too, on Spooky Crossroads all the time. That's
1: not surprising.
0: And I was like, ah, man, listen, I love you. Did
1: he sing Hanson? But
0: you're terrible at singing. <laughs> mbop.
1: Yeah. I don't think he ever sang Mbop.
0: m-bop. It, was, it was always like like just little random bits of things that would pop into his head. It's like, uh, you know, like Bono when Bono sings a U2 song. Sometimes, like the end of the song, he'll start singing like some other song, like a little, they call it like a little, I forget, YouTube fans have a name for it. Uh, But he puts in like little excerpts from other songs, like in the ends of their songs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that would be like what Balzano would do. He'd just be like talking about something and then just trail off into a song. And I'd be singing here like, this is, it's a good thing this is like only on somebody else that
2: used to do something like that. Uh, His name was Timothy Leary.
0: Yeah, well, he had a reason for doing it, though. Uh, And he probably had a much weirder song selection. So we will be talking with uh, Cliff Barrickman coming up in just a few moments. Uh, We'll be talking about Bigfoot. We'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. There's people in the chat room, lots of people in the chat room that are already wondering where Cliff is. Uh, He'll be joining us momentarily. And uh, we will have the conversation for you here on Spooky South Coast. If you miss any of the show, you can always check it out on demand. We have Spooky TV on demand, which Matt does a fantastic job of dolling it all up and making us look good. And then putting it out there in both the full show version and in smaller, more easy-to-digest clips. And even though I said easy to digest, we're not going to go into snack talk. Although we will, I think we will have to ask Cliff about, like, you know, what snacks do you bring with you? You know, I think this should just be a staple business?
1: question for everybody that comes on the show at this point. <laughs> we should seriously, because what if we could find a better snack?
0: I mean, I think that uh, it's, y- there's things to take into consideration when you're going right. out into the woods about what snacks you're going to take with you. Right. Makes so, perfect sense. All right. I think we uh, I think we have Cliff here. Let me bring him in. Hello, Hello Cliff. Can you hear us? Okay. Hello. Hi, can you hear us? All right, well, hold on, we'll figure this out. Wait a minute. i got to do this, right, Matt? i got to switch this to that. Can you hear us hey now, Cliff? Hello, I don't hear you. All right, still not now. Hold on, we'll figure this out. S- still can't hear us. How about, oh, wait, I know.
3: Oh, there you are, hello. There we are,
0: because I didn't put it into audition.
3: <laughs> oh, there you go. How are you doing today?
0: We are spectacular. How about yourself?
3: I'm doing all right. Keep talking for a second, so I can adjust the speakers, so you don't distort like that. Okay. Sure,
0: absolutely. Uh, we are very excited to uh, have you here with us. And uh, and Matt, it turns out he does have video, so I know oh, that I. Didn't...
3: Yeah, it, it's up to you guys. I, I'm I'm watching your live feed on the website or whatever, and I didn't know if you wanted me on video or not. So it's up to you.
0: Well, usually we don't like we we have been trying to bring it in, but it just it causes such an issue with our computer over here. So uh, it's good. I can see you though. So that's all that matters.
3: Okay, I suppose you're the
0: lucky <laughs> one and and you can and you can see me I just might be delayed a little bit, but uh you know we we do have that uh, ability, so eventually someday we're gonna have you on this big screen behind us and then just talk to you that way it'll be a lot more organic that'll
3: be yeah organic a giant head behind you yeah
0: Perfect. <laughs> that's pretty much how I live my life have you seen my head it's it's not that bad. You know, I've got bad. a
3: huge head. My, I have a giant head, it turns out. Like, I have to get extra large hats. The only person I can share a hat with is Bobo. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I've got a really large head.
0: See, now that, I have the same problem. The problem is, is I just, I didn't grow anymore to match with my head. So, <laughs> you know, I have, I have a, I have the head of a Bobo on the body of a, of a Pukwudgie. So,
3: it doesn't really <laughs> nice. work out so well.
0: Well, we're glad that you could uh, join us, and uh, and we were just talking uh, earlier in the show that you're actually coming to Massachusetts.
3: Yeah, two weeks from tonight. I well, yeah, tonight I'll be out there two weeks. Um, and what Hastings, Hastings is that right? Hadley, uh, Hadley. Had, Hadley, yeah, Hadley. I did another thing in Hastings. I'm uh, sorry, get, I'm all over the place. I'm get a little mixed up, and I only have so much RAM, you know. Um no, I don't But yeah, you. yeah, yeah, two weeks from tonight. All the details are on the Massachusetts website.
0: And so uh, but so you've been out this way before, though, and I know that you've done some episodes of Finding Bigfoot here in New England, uh, so I assume you've been wandering through, through our woods uh, throughout the course of your career.
3: Uh, well, you know what? Um, I've never been to the Northeast until I did Finding Bigfoot, so I've only uh, had the opportunity to explore those woods for the last, you know, seven or eight years. And I will say this, I mean, we have a, a fair amount of sightings
0: and we have a fair amount of Incidents that happen, they're not as predominant as they are in other parts of the country, but, um, you know, my co-host Matt Moniz has been working with the squatch a team, and uh, we may not have as many sightings as other areas, but we have some pretty profound ones here.
3: Oh, sure. You know what? If you look at North America, sightings occur where the needs of the animals are met, food, water, and cover and there is a lot of that in the northeast particularly when you get to Vermont, New Hampshire and Maine and places like that but Massachusetts has some nice uh, big chunks of undisturbed habitat as well so yeah wherever you find the habitat you find the animals it makes sense one
0: one of the great things about our area too is that uh, you know we've had a long history here with the native americans there's of course there's, there was native americans all over the country but we have a lot of the legends and lore that have stuck around uh, through, you know, to even modern times, we still talk about that with a lot of our, uh, our paranormal research that we do here and a lot of historical research that we do. So the Native American stories of these creatures being seen in this area have certainly stuck around even as the Native Americans themselves
3: have disappeared. Well, that's one of the things that really turned my head back in my early days of being interested in the Bigfoot thing. I mean, when I was a kid, I was interested because monsters, you know, who doesn't love monsters? But um, when I started taking the subject seriously, that was one of the things that really turned me from, uh, you think these things might be real to these things probably are real. Um, and is that It was that every, without exception, every Native American tribe that lives in suitable habitat that, you know, shared with Sasquatches, have something described as Sasquatches in their oral tradition. They don't call them Bigfoot. They don't call it Sasquatch. They call it something else, usually a native term that translates to wild man or hairy man or something. But that is is true in every North American native oral tradition, and that cannot be faked. And then we you know,
0: come to find out years later, and, uh, as people are looking into these reports, they're able to connect them with other reports across the globe. And you've had the chance to go across the globe and, and look into some of these reports. It, it, it's, there's, there's too much of this happening in too many different corners of the world for it to all just be a story. There has to be some, some fact behind it.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, it, it, clearly. And the more we learn about anthropology in general, the more that – that idea makes sense. Um, th- these are just some sort of relic hominoid, basically, is the term for them. Relict is a biological term that means still alive, you know, still sticking around. And hominoid is the general large family wherein lies the great apes and human beings, yeah.
0: You know, we say the same thing, and, and, and again, I know that, you know, when you're looking into into Sasquatch creatures, you're looking at it from a, a physical, a biological, uh, you know, a, a reality-based uh, perspective, and I, I don't want to keep comparing it to supernatural things like ghosts, which is what we focus a majority of our attention on, uh, but when... You look at that when you say, okay, there's, store, there's a word for it in every culture. There are stories about it in every culture. There's enough of a, a knowledge base where you can just plop yourself into any village on any continent around the world and start talking about these things, and people will be able to understand what it is that you're discussing, and they'll, they'll have their own version of it to share with you. When that happens, it, beca- it you know it makes the world feel a lot smaller because now there's something that's bigger than us that's somehow connecting all of us.
3: You know, I've always felt the world was a little bit too small for my taste. Honestly, I'm glad I'm just passing through.
0: (laughs) Is there uh, there any place that you haven't had the chance to go and check out the stories of the creatures that that you want to go and investigate?
3: Huh. Um, I would like to go further north into British Columbia and really look on the British Columbian coast more than I have. I've been there once or twice, but I want to spend some time out in the British Columbian coast. Um, Other than that, I think... I think Africa offers some really uh, unique opportunities um, because almost nothing has been published off the continent of Africa, but yet there are whispers and stories of weird hominoid sort of things out there, so I wouldn't mind checking that area
0: out yeah I mean I haven't heard any stories of anything from Africa I'd be interested in you know just a can you give us a little taste of what you've heard about what's uh, what's on Africa uh.
3: Well, you know what? The, the thing about Africa that intrigues me is is the persistence of of hominins on the continent. Um, and, and what I mean by that, I'm t- specifically in this case, I'm talking about Homo naledi. Uh, have you heard about those recent discoveries in a, in a South African cave, like the Star or something cave, if I remember right, is the name of it. Um, and they're still excavating it right now, but there's a tremendous body of fossilized hominin skeletons. And these particular hominins, the Homo nelidi, they're very, very archaic in morphology. In other words, like they, they seem very ancient, big, heavy brow ridge, very ape-like face, but they were bipeds, and they walked around on two legs. They were smaller than Bigfoots, but nonetheless, um, they're they're very Bigfooty, you know, Bigfoot-esque, if you want to say. But they were walking around 50 or 100,000 years ago. That overlaps our species dramatically. Like we've been around for about 300,000 years, give or take a little. Um, homo sapiens. So they were walking around at the same time as us. And that kind of gives uh, some credence to this idea again of relic hominoids. Are they still there? Because sometimes people report things like that, but there are almost no people out there studying and publishing this. So word doesn't leak out. But I have a feeling there's a wealth of information there. So, I mean,
0: there's there's a lot of these stories that are connected but every every of the every one of these creatures and and the legends that surround them they have different beliefs around them they have different descriptions and there's different characteristics of these creatures and they may all kind of fall under this you know hairy hominid idea but there's enough differentiation that i think that there's actually somewhat of a speci- speciation happening and that makes me i don't know about you but that makes me more likely to believe it to think that these creatures are adapting to where they're being found just as as much as any other animal would be or, or mammal would be adapting to its surroundings.
3: Worldwide, I would agree with your statement. There are different descriptions and different uh, apparent morphologies, like body shapes, essentially. Um, North America, I find there's only one. Um, there are, people say there's different species because this one was red or this one was big and this one acted different, but that's, that, that does not make a different species. Worldwide, I would probably agree with you. Uh, Orang pendex of Sumatra I've spearheaded the Orang Pendek project where I've gathered a bunch of evidence, footprint evidence of Orang Pendeks, and their foot morphology is dramatically different than that of a Sasquatch. Um, Down on the island of Flores, the Ibu Gogo is the name of of the critters down there, about three feet tall, four feet tall, hairy hominoids, you know, that walk on two legs. Um, Those seem to have a regular foot as opposed to a divergent hallux, like a big toe that sticks off to the side, like the orang pendek has. Then we have two different species in Australia. Who knows what the Yeti is? I mean, there there have been three described uh, species of Yetis, the big ones like the Bigfoots, the medium-sized ones, which seem to be much more ape-like, and then a bear species, which Dr. Brian Sykes, of course, proved with his DNA study. Um, then there's, of course, the of uh, the um, China. There's the Almasty of the uh, Georgia sort of Caucasian mountains. And that might be some sort of relic. Who knows? Uh, a Homo erectus or Neanderthal or maybe Denisovan. We don't really know. Um, so c- worldwide, there do seem to be different species, which actually supports the idea that these things are out there. Because now we know that human evolution had a, wasn't a chain-like thing, like a trunk of a tree. Where Homo erectus gave rise to Neanderthals and gave rise to humans, we know that there were a lot of branches on that tree. Now, some of which um, didn't didn't die off until very, very recently, like Homo naledi, I already mentioned, or Neanderthals, or Homo floresiensis, um, another hobbit species on Flores, where the Ibu Gogo is currently being reported. Well, all of these different species make sense when you consider the multi-species hypothesis of human evolution. It, it really
0: seems to me that uh, as people are paying more attention to these creatures, and, and, and as they are kind of somewhat in pop culture, too, with with uh, Finding Bigfoot and, and other focuses on them, you know, we have uh, our friends uh, Small Town Monsters uh, have that great series that's coming out with documentaries about, you know, as more attention is being paid to these creatures, people are coming forward with stories and sightings, whereas I think that there was, you know, 10, 20 years ago, people might have been, so quick to dismiss what it was and say, well, it couldn't, have been, it couldn't have been what I thought it was. It had to have been a mountain lion. It had to have been a bear. It had to have been this. It had to have been that. And I think people are more open to the possibility that it could be something that they can't explain these days.
3: I do believe that's one of the good things that, is, that has come out of you finding Bigfoot, for example. Um, we've been on a long time. But we're a pretty successful TV show. We've been all over the country and, you know, the five continents. And to those ends, we've shown that, you know, if you've seen a Bigfoot, you're probably not alone. Other people have the same experience as you because how terrifying must that be to uh, to live out in the woods or whatever in a small rural community, see one of these things and and be afraid to tell your neighbors and friends about it because they're going to think that you're drinking too much or you're, you're, uh, you're hallucinating or you're crazy or a liar. People who live out in these rural communities, sometimes uh, the most valuable thing they own is their reputation. So who wants to stick their neck out like that? But – the the, um, the this the tidal wave of media attention brought on by finding Bigfoot in other shows and movies and Seth Breedlove stuff that you mentioned, mm-hmm. all of that stuff kind of makes it okay to talk about because finally the witness is not alone anymore. They realize they're not alone because there's a community of people who have had very similar uh, experiences.
0: See, I'm sure the fans of your show watch it and and they're looking to see what it is that you're doing for techniques to try to find these creatures and and hearing you talk about the different ways that you try to, to locate them when you're out in the field, for me, the most fascinating part is when you're actually holding those town halls and you're getting rooms full of people that have had sightings and have had experiences. As, as, as a researcher of the strange and unknown, that to me is what's most important. And so when they say, oh, you know, finding Bigfoot, they've never actually found a Bigfoot. I don't care if you found one or not. You have found so many people that have encountered them that that alone enough to me is furthering the pursuit of these creatures more than if one walked by your camera while you are out in the woods.
3: Yeah, a lot of people love the town hall meetings. But to another point, I disagree with those people that we've never found a Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. We've found them quite a few times. I mean, what do you think those sounds are on the recorders? Have we filmed one? No. But several of our producers and cast members, for that matter, have had sightings while working on the show. Filming these things is, is an entirely different arena than just finding one. Turns out we have found them on a number of occasions, and and people have seen them um, on camera and off camera. Just we have never got one on camera. We have not got a Sasquatch film. Okay, I admit to that failure, but to say we've never found one, that's ridiculous.
0: But that's not a failure either, because you know that's you're you're. It's not like uh, you're out there in the woods looking for a deer. You know, you're not trying to find. This is something that people just don't encounter for the most part. Anyway, this is a a being that seems to have some sort of an intelligence that knows how to avoid people. So it's not a failure that you haven't caught one on camera any more than it's not a failure that a, a, you know, if somebody wants to go deep sea diving and they don't see the one particular thing that they wanted to see, it doesn't mean that it's not out there. It just means it wasn't there when they were there.
3: Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, my only sighting was on the show. Bobo saw another one in Ohio after the cameras had stopped, actually walking back from an interview to base camp. Um, one of our producers saw one in Kentucky um, messing, like har- harassing a, a, cow, a cow herd, basically. Um, even Renee says that she has seen seven-foot shadows dart across the road, and she sees ice shine out in the woods, but doesn't know what they are. Well, we've seen some really amazing things on the show, so and we have a lot of it recorded, which I think is really, really cool, like a lot of audio recordings. And for anybody who wants to be a critic of the show, by all means, please, please do us a favor and go do a better job than we did. That would be amazing. I would, I'll help you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's like when we do certain ghost events. A lot, how many times have you and I can put our equipment away and have something paranormal happen right in front of us? Oh,
0: yeah. The, you know, the wait till you actually stop looking to, yeah. to come out and show itself to you. Lizzie
2: Borden's prime example.
0: Oh, Absolutely. And, and I think that that's what uh, what I think is what people are taking away from watching the show and seeing the way that uh, that your team is conducting the research is they're saying, well, wait a minute, this is something that I could do. Like, when I just go on a hike, I can pick up a stick and, and just see if I can make some noise and see if I can get some kind of a response. So it, it gives you a chance to kind of... Open your mind up more to the possibility that these creatures are out there, even if you're not going to, you know, full-fledged go out there and and look for one on on a Bigfoot investigation, but at least you're going to open your mind to that possibility, and if you're going to be open to that possibility, you're more likely then to pay attention if one's going to happen while you're out there.
3: It's one of the great things about Bigfooting in general is you can do it. I mean, anybody can do it. It's not rocket science. You hit a baseball bat against a tree. You know that's kind of it. Now it it, it can get a lot more intense than that. It's kind of it's, that's like saying you know deer hunting. It's super easy to shoot a deer, right? right. Well, no, there's yeah. so much more that goes into it, of course, than just that. But at the very, very basic level, this is something you can do with your children at a national forest campground. And I think that's really, one of the really powerful things about Bigfoot in general, is that it's right there. In fact, that's one of the things that kind of engaged me in the subject 25 years ago when I was first starting, getting you know, sticking my toe in the pool, so to speak. Like, I realized that this was a mystery and it was quirky and weird and everything I love about life, but it's right there. I was already backpacking. I was already camping. It's something that I could just put on the agenda. Because at the end of the day, Bigfooting is basically camping with a purpose.
0: I mean, you should definitely have some some background and familiarity with going out into the woods and uh, i wouldn't suggest just anybody go because some people like myself would probably have a tendency to to not make it back i have a pretty good natural sense of direction i don't have a very good natural sense of uh you know where not to step
3: and uh, I, I would <laughs> well, probably you, you do this from your car though really you could drive along a lonely road pull off somewhere get out of your car wait five or ten minutes let things cool down let the forest reacclimate to your presence bang a stick against a tree once or t- twice and listen there's you can people with a physical disabilities can do this too bigfooting is a uniting sort of activity that one can do with children your family No matter what physical condition you're in, if you have access to a forest, that's one of the neat things about Bigfoot is that it brings us together in a way very few other things can or do.
0: And it gives people an appreciation for nature that is uh, you know, not really predominant for a lot of people these days. When everybody has their face stuck in a screen, when you get out there far enough and you don't have a cell phone signal anymore, you're forced to just be entertained by what's around you and actually enjoy nature for a change.
3: Exactly and you know what all, all my um, advocacy for bigfooting that's really the motive underneath is to get people out into our natural environment. We weren't meant to be living in these cement cages we've built around us. We are meant to be in touch with nature because we're a part of nature. That is when you go to the woods at night with with or without a flashlight and you look around you're looking at yourself everywhere you are, and that's kind of my quiet goal underneath my advocacy is to get people back in touch with what they left, and I think that's another powerful, symbolic sort of motif with Bigfooting because they are the giant, hairy people things, and they represent what we've lost, and I think through them, we can get back in touch with that.
0: I, I definitely uh, agree with that because it's it's people want to think that if this creature is is out there, that it's a connection between us and what came before us, or maybe it's a deviation of what, you know, we could have been if we didn't evolve into what we are. You know, people want to look at Bigfoot not to answer just the question of do do these Sasquatch creatures exist, but they want to figure out the answers to more questions like, you know, what does this mean in the long run? What does this creature's existence mean? How does it relate to us? And those kind of questions, those bigger questions are way more important than just whether or not something is actually out there in the woods.
3: That's the yeah, and and Bigfoots are like that. They're like the proverbial onion, even down to the stink. Honestly, you know, there's a surface thing of whatever you think it is, whether you think it's some sort of relic hominoid, like I do, or you know, some sort of paranormal thing that's a popular view as well. But you know, you start peeling things away and getting deeper down into it. There's more to discover, and you just you just keep going at the until the very middle of it all, and whatever is there is something that you brought with you. So Bigfoot means different things to different people, and it's like a personal exploration. And I think that it's it's like art or something like that. It's a personal reflection in some ways. Um, And there's something there for everybody.
0: I mean, you know, the case of my co-host, Matt Moniz, he's just looking for a female Bigfoot. Uh, since you started growing <laughs> the beard, I could tell like that's what you're trying to do. You're just trying oh, to. Oh, I get it. Him.
3: Yeah, like a, a total bilf, right? A bigfoot. I'd like to film. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because <laughs> oh it's, 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 he
0: wants a, he wants a woman, but he doesn't want one that's actually going to talk to him. So he figures <laughs> that with these, you know, they'll just growl every once in a while, and then he knows he's doing oh, he's a good missing job. just
3: out. Conversations <laughs> with my wife are some of my favorite things. He's missing
0: out. I just, I, you'll probably see it throughout the course of the night. I will just pick on him through the show. And uh, when uh, when he's up there in Hadley hanging out with you guys, feel free to just continue whatever whatever jokes I'm doing uh, right to his face.
3: Okay, very good.
0: You'll know him when he walks in because well, don't trim the beard before you go in there, Monies, because we want people to think that a Bigfoot walked into the room. I'm gonna say at this there. point
1: you're gonna mistake him for a Bigfoot, so. right?
0: Except for the height. Don't worry, this isn't these aren't the people that actually want to shoot one, so you should be okay.
2: Sorry, right, no, I, no, I can shoot. I know back. you
0: shoot back. I don't. <laughs> Well, I, I do want to get a little bit into your background, Cliff. Uh, you know, you're growing up in, in Long Beach, California. I can't imagine that there was a lot of Bigfoot creatures, you know, in your neighborhood.
3: No, no, that's part of the reason I left. Um, but, uh, but it turns out that the local, uh, like, San Gabriel Mountains and, you know, and th- those sort of places do actually hold Sasquatches on occasion. There's probably a few residents up there, in fact, too. Um, but, yeah, the, the area is actually better than I expected, but I just wanted to get closer to the action. So I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon. Um, figuring that was a nice middle spot, you know. Something happens in northern Washington under the Olympic Peninsula, I can be there in a couple hours, just like I did last week. You know, um, something happened in northern California down by where Bobo lives. He calls me up, I can be there in a couple hours too. And and plus, I do like the sort of strange culture that's somehow grown up around Portland and all that stuff. So uh, I live outside of Portland, Oregon, in the woods on the um, west slopes of Mount Hood at the moment, um, in Bigfoot country. In fact, I've even heard one from my property just a few months ago. So. Oh wow! So, yeah. So- I've heard
2: a lot of UFO activity happening out there lately.
3: <laughs> that's my wife's gig, actually. Well, not gig, really, but that's what yeah. she likes to do. Um, she's more of a ghost UFO person. Um, so we can actually see Mount Hood from our property, and though she's always looking closely and whatnot, even though Mount Hood doesn't have quite the uh, UFO history that, say, Mount Adams yeah. does or something like that. Well, I mean, we can get into
0: some of the, the weirder side of things uh, coming up in the next hour, but uh, I do think that there is, you know... Pe- people have different reasons for why they think this is but i do think that there is more of uh, when you have areas where there's a high amount of bigfoot sightings and you will have more ufo sightings i think that maybe there's just something about these areas that open people more up to it and and i think part of that could just be simply as you're out in the wild as opposed to being uh, in you know in the city so when you're out there looking for Bigfoot, walking around in the woods, you're walking around underneath a big open sky, you're more likely to see things that you know wouldn't normally be seen uh, wherever you would live. So it's it's they kind of do go hand in hand like that, just because you're in a place where you can be more open to having these kind of experiences.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. For example, I was out, I think was last Wednesday. It was the 7th, anyway. I think it was last Wednesday. Um, I was following up on a recent sighting up on the Olympic Peninsula. And I was out with my friend Shane Corson. Uh, he does Monster X Radio. He's part of the Olympic Project. He's pretty active in Bigfoot land here, you know? Um, and uh, I was just talking with him around the fire, or maybe we didn't have a fire going at that point. No, we didn't have a fire, actually, because we were talking, and I, I thought he turned on and off a flashlight for a second, I did, so I didn't say anything, but he said, did you see that? It what? like, right over my head, behind me, he saw a, a, a series of flashing lights all of a sudden. He was like, I don't even know what that was. And, and I, I saw the reflections off the trees, but again, I thought he just turned on a flashlight for a second. Um, But it was when I got home. Um, I'm an amateur astronomer as well. I love all avenues of science. And one of these uh, um, astronomy blogs that uh, I I follow on Twitter or something brought up the fact that on that very night over western Washington, a huge fireball streaked across the sky and broke up into a bunch of pieces. And a lot of people saw it, reported UFOs and all this other stuff. But it was actually just a fireball, a meteor basically. I I don't think it hit the ground, so I can't call it a meteorite. But it was a meteor and it turns out that that happened at the same moment Shane and I were talking but would we have ever seen it unless we were in a dark place with a dark sky above us probably not just being out there exposes you to so many different things astronomical or perhaps paranormal who knows you know
0: and and i think that that's why you know when people say well how come you know we don't see more of these bigfoot creatures more of these sasquatch creatures when we're out there but like you're saying, even though you spend so much time out there, it's still not your primary environment. So everything that's out there is always going to be one step ahead of you because that's where it's used to being. And I think the same thing will happen with, with the Sasquatch creature because this is where it lives. This is where it's where it's come up, and this is where it's geared toward. And no matter how much time you spend out there, you're always just visiting.
3: Oh, yeah. And, you know, to put it in perspective, and there's a lot of bears in Mountain Hood National Forest. Um, and I've seen a lot of bears, but not here. I've seen most of the bears in Northern California and the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. Um, The Sierra is because, well, you know, if I'm in a national park, you aren't allowed to shoot them. And the bears figure that out pretty quick. And so they're much more brazen. Northern California, there's just a ton of bears there and not a lot of people around. Where I live now, um, the bears are smaller for some reason. And also, uh, if somebody, if a bear shows up here, just people shoot them right away to get them out of the area. And the bears have picked up on that. So I've lived in the Portland area for about 10 years or so now. And you can imagine, I spend a good amount of time out in Mount Hood National Forest. And all that time, I found their tracks, I found their scat. You can go down the list. I've seen one bear. And it was about 200 yards away running across the road when I was driving. And and there's got to be at least 100 times as many bears as there are Bigfoots. Sasquatches are very, very rare animals. But that kind of puts it in perspective. There's a ton of bear here, but you never see them.
0: Hey, we've we've even got a Cape Cod bear. I don't know I don't know how familiar with you are with the the, the Cape Cod region, but it's a it's basically there's a canal that a man made canal that separates Massachusetts from the rest of Cape Cod, and there are two bridges that go over that canal, and uh, and a bear has made it over that bridge and lives on Cape Cod now, having come huh. out of the woods, you know, far up in the north northern part of Massachusetts, and is uh, kind of just you know decided that he's going to summer on the Cape.
3: Yeah, you know, I've heard about some Bigfoot stuff too. Kind of where the Cape connects to the other part of Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, some swamps down there. I don't, I don't know the geography that well because I've only been there once. But um, yeah, the uh, some swamp down in that area apparently has regular Bigfoot activities. Like oh a farm yeah. The s- Huckamuck Swamp. Yes. There you go. I think that's it. Actually, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's a that that's one of those places where all kinds of strange activity happens, and uh, that's you know we we do that's part of what we call the Bridgewater Triangle, the bigger area of uh, of weird phenomena. And uh, every once in a every year I should say annually we do an episode of our show where we send teams out into the Bridgewater Triangle and they call in with live reports. And uh, every year there's a team that heads out like to that Hockamock Swamp area. And while everybody else is looking for ghosts and, and aliens and whatever else they might find out there, I'm sure Bigfoot is, like, listening to our show and saying, oh, there go those idiots from Spooky South Coast walking across the swamp over there uh, because they, they never seem to, to find them on those particular nights. But there's been a lot of sightings in that in that Hockamock Swamp
3: area. Yeah, I'm not at all surprised. You'd have to ask John Wilk about that because he's the local uh, Massachusetts guy. you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, because uh, there's just too many places Bigfoots live for me to keep track of them all, unfortunately.
0: We're, uh, we're going to take a break in a minute for the network news. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more with uh, Cliff Barrickman about not only his research, uh, but we'll also talk a little bit about what people can expect when they come out and see you uh, in Hadley, Massachusetts. And, again, that's coming up on March 30th and 31st. If you go to SquatchMassachusetts.com, and I'll, I'll – I'll, the more I say it, the better I'll get at it. <laughs> com. If you go to the website, you'll be able – and we put it up in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Uh, you'll be able to, to get the tickets uh, so you can you can actually go in, in and see Cliff. And I didn't realize that uh, till I saw this website, Cliff, that uh, it includes a buffet dinner with one of the ticket packages. So, yeah, it sure does. You know, you had me at buffet. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but uh, we, will, we will talk more about that coming up as well. Uh, real quickly, while – while well, people are, are waiting during the news break, how can they find out more about you? How can they find out more about your work?
3: I suppose uh, my website's a good place to start, Um and of course Facebook and Twitter and all that junk, too. So,
0: All right. Well, and when we come back, I do, you know, I know that um, we're going to keep things kind of very physical-based, but we can kind of throw out some of the, the stranger theories that are out there, because like we've said before here on the show, they're probably not right, but... We don't know that they aren't, so we can talk about some of the, the weirder things. But I do want to get into, you know, as, as you were mentioning before, some of the actual physical reasons that, that lead people to believe that these creatures are real. Because to me, that's what's going to convince a majority of the world. We can have all the strange and unusual theories that we want, but it's going to be that hard evidence, that physical evidence that makes a majority of the world say, okay, now I'm, now I'm paying attention. Uh, so we can talk about some of that as well. So we'll just put you on hold for a little bit while we take our news break, if that's okay with you.
3: Copy
0: that, sure. All right, and we'll be back with Cliff coming up in just a few minutes. And also during the news break, if you want to go to SpookySouthCoast.com, we had mentioned the uh, upcoming Mount Washington event uh, with Bright Star Promotions that's happening. We also have some Spooky South Coast events coming up as well. You can go on to SpookySouthCoast.com and get tickets to those events. One of those is coming up next month, uh, April 21st. Matt Moniz and I are going to be at the Lizzie Borden house. Uh, We are going to be having a fundraiser to help benefit Max the cat. The official cat of the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast, he's had some health issues lately. Seems to have come out of the woods on those. You know, while we're talking about Bigfoot, we can use that that phraseology. But he's uh, he seems to be out of the woods with uh, whatever was afflicting him. But he's left some pretty big medical bills in his wake because they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And so now we're trying to help Max pay those bills. Uh, with this fundraiser, so we're going to have an auction of actual paranormal items that have been donated by some of our friends and uh, we're going to see if we can help raise some of the money and you will be able to take part in that auction. We've got to figure out all the logistics of how it's going to work but basically it will be streaming worldwide on SpookySouthCoast.com on our YouTube channel and you will be able to see the items bid on the items and uh, and certainly you can also be there in person to bid on the items by taking part in this great event that we have coming up that night so SpookySouthCoast.com slash events we'll be back with more in just a bit. number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, psychic medium, Stephanie Burke, and our guest tonight. You know him from Finding Bigfoot, Cliff Barrickman. He's also going to be coming to Massachusetts coming up in just two weeks, uh, March 30th and 31st. He'll be in Hadley, Massachusetts at the Hadley Farms Meeting House, two days of events. This is going to be a fantastic event, uh, and not just because there's a buffet dinner. But, uh, see, we got—we always got to bring it back to food here on Spooky South Coast. That's what we do. But uh, just taking a look at this, um, the, the ticket prices alone for this, what a deal. If you just want to go Friday, $25. Or if you just want to go Saturday, $25 to go out and, and see this presentation that's being given by, by Cliff, by Jonathan Wilk, Matt Pruitt, Mark DeWorth, uh, and Cliff doing Bigfoot trivia. I mean, that's... It, if you're going to go and... In, in, not and, and partic- participate in this trivia, Matt Moniz. If there isn't some sort of a question about your beard, I'm going to be disappointed.
2: I'm sure we can get one.
0: we gotta, we got to do that. Uh, and then uh, if you want to take part in the Saturday event with the buffet dinner, $50. But the best way to do this, just get the two-day pass so you can go to both days with the buffet dinner, only $75. I mean, come on. You go out to eat just for dinner, you're going to spend most of that alone. So you get to have all kinds of Bigfoot fun, with the whole Squatchusett's crew, this is see this is why we don't have them on the show Matt. it's not it's not that i don't want to have john on the show and this is why we Gabe can't have show. nice things it's because i just can't say the word so you know that's that's the that's the whole reason why so uh, but uh, certainly if you want to get out and get these tickets com is the website hey, you got and it. Uh, i did and uh, we have it up on uh, SpookySouthCoast.com in the chat room as well. I put a link, and uh, you can take part in this. But definitely, if you plan on going and you want to have the buffet dinner, buy your tickets ahead of time because they need to know how many people they have to feed. And know it, just taking a look at some of the folks that we know around here that do Bigfoot research, they can, they can pack away the food. So we definitely want to make sure that we give them an accurate count. Moniz is not going to eat for a week before he goes to this thing. So <laughs> it sounds about right. <laughs> but uh, I'm just taking a look at the schedule, Cliff, and uh, and it's it just seems like it's going to be uh, a packed night each time of of great presentations. What can people expect from the from the talk that you're going to give?
3: Well, I'm going to give two separate talks, I, I believe. You know that's the hard part for me because I, I, that's, that's my favorite thing about doing these sort of gigs is actually the presentations I give. Uh, I was an elementary school teacher. I taught fifth graders for 14 years before I was grabbed by television, and then suddenly my classroom went from 30 to 1.2 million a week. Um, so, but I, the thing about these presentations, I just love to give them because it gets me back in the in the teacher seat, the driver's seat of the teacher seat, whatever you know. It gets me back in front of a classroom, basically, where I can convey a little bit of knowledge. So, the hardest thing about it for me is to choose which one of the seven or eight presentations I have that I want to give. Um, if I were to choose right now today, because anything could change in the next two weeks, you know, I mean, who knows? Um, it, I'll, I'll get to. Uh, in the last month, I've gotten three new – four new footprints and a new sighting that I want to talk about. So um, I don't know. But if I had – if I were giving the presentations tonight, I would be giving the presentations on the footprint evidence that was gathered at the Patterson-Gimlin film site because this is the 50th year mm-hmm. after the Patterson-Gimlin film was obtained. It's the 50th anniversary, and I want to do this – the celebration all year long. The actual date was October 20th, but I want to celebrate it all year long. So I probably do the footprint evidence gathered from the patterson gimlin film site. And also, I have a really cool presentation that takes about an hour and ten minutes, because I would have an hour and a half, I think, on the second night, um, uh, or maybe a little bit more, I don't know, um, on handprint evidence, because most people think, oh, Bigfoot, big feet, but they have big hands, too. And it turns out that there's kind of a lot of handprint evidence on record now that we can compare and look at and and, and kind of infer about their morphology underneath. And if you can infer about the way their hands are different than human beings, you can infer how their behaviors might be different than human beings. And it turns out they're dramatically different than human beings. A lot can be told about the hands and, therefore, the behaviors of the creatures.
0: Well, uh, it does explain a lot, knowing your background, then, as a, a fifth-grade teacher. I understand now why you can be out in the woods in the dark, alone, around around mountain lions and bears and, and not be afraid because if you can handle a room full of, you know, uh, prepubescent kids that are just starting to have all those hormones kick in, then whatever is out there in the woods has got to be safer than that.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, fifth grade, sixth grade, all that that age right there, the, I do really well with it because I am weird. And, like, they, they're excited about coming to the school to see what weird Mr. Barrickman going to do. Um, that day, because I, I realized a long time ago, whether I'm in a classroom or on television or in front of an audience, if I'm not having fun, they're not having fun. Right. And gosh, if I'm not having fun, I'm probably not doing it.
0: And uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm involved in the media. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a news anchor here at the station, and I'm a reporter. You know, and they always say, you know, when you're when you're presenting to the world, you're presenting to about a sixth grade education level. You know, that's that's where you want to kind of focus in everything, so it can it can reach the widest Masses And I I think that that is a really good thing because that's pretty much like the level of where my jokes can go is is that age group. But I think also, too, is you're catching people at at a mindset of where they're just about at the point where skepticism and cynicism hasn't started to kick in. And you have that wide amount of wonder. And I think that that is great for what it is that you're doing because people can be more open to that possibility and they can kind of – keep that that sense of wonder, and you're right there to kind of give it to them in a way that's still digestible without them, you know, at least on a television way, they can say, okay, I think I can buy into this. And then when they come out and they see you give a presentation, that's when you can say, all right, now I can get into the real nuts and bolts of this because now I've got the audience whose mind is already open to that possibility.
3: Yeah, and you know what? I, I see very little functional difference between 10 years old and 50 years old, honestly. If you can grab a person's attention at 10 years old, the 50-year-old is a pushover. No problem at all. And really, that 10-year-old child is still inside of all of us. And it's my job to bring it out because the world is beautiful. I mean, we're all blessed to be here. And, it, it, and so many people have their eyes glazed over because they think it's all done, man. But the world is just – we've barely scratched the surface on this existence. And its it's kind of my job to share some of my joy with the world to kind of bring them along with me. You know, let's go discover. Let's go adventure. Let's go have fun and learn something. You know, whether you're 10 or 50, I could give a darn, man. Let's just go do it.
0: And, and I think there's something to be said for, you know, being able to, to say, to yourself and to others to just say, you know, maybe I don't have all the answers to everything. Maybe I don't think that I know all that I can know at this point in my life. And to still have there be some mysteries and still have there be some things that, you know, might require you to say, okay, I've never seen this with my own eyes, but I'm still willing to believe in the existence of, of, say, this creature, because I want to believe that there's something beyond all that I think that I know.
3: I pity those that think that they know all there is to know. Um, They live in a very small world. And I think that, uh, unfortunately,
0: you know, that's what we run into a lot of times with some of the topics that we cover on this show, and I'm sure that you've encountered that with some people that have watched Finding Bigfoot, where they say, I really like the show, I watch the show, you know, I don't know if I believe in these creatures, but, uh, you know, I like the way that you guys go about things, I like your approach, Uh, because there will be some people who are just never going to be willing to open their mind, no matter what, even if the creature walked by on camera, even if you interviewed one, on, on an episode of the show, it still wouldn't be enough uh, to convince Look, them otherwise.
3: Oh, I, I totally get that, and I totally agree as well. Um, but you know, they're they're still watching the show, mm-hmm. and that's what gets me. Like, oh, I don't I don't think these things are real, but I love the show. You know what? You're still watching it, so there's this kernel, this spark down inside um, that that is hopeful. And I don't care if people believe in Bigfoot, really. I mean, they're People can believe whatever they want, frankly. Um, it turns out that Sasquatches are real. It, they don't depend on anybody's belief. Um, and it, and really, it's probably better for the animals that people don't believe. But, you know, that's not the case, generally. Um, but I, I don't know. It seems that it, people are still watching the show, whether they're just watching it in the hopes that we get something, whether they're watching it because they like to watch four weirdos look for something that doesn't exist, um, or they watch the show because they are hoping to be convinced who cares they're still there and i'm not saying i don't and i'm saying this from a perspective of oh we need the ratings or i want the ratings right. or attention that's all nonsense that's all shallow superficial nonsense um i want that spark of curiosity um that's at the center of all of us to shine forth because i think that is really very close to the essence of our humanity
0: and, and i think that you know I, i've I work behind the scenes in a couple, uh, you know, ghost television shows, and we have a lot of friends that are uh, on some of these television shows, and I think that that's a misconception that a lot of people have, where they think that because you're involved with a television show that, you know, it's all about whatever you can do to get people to watch. It's all about whatever you can do to ratings. You're willing to put, you know, some of your own personal beliefs aside to do whatever it takes to make a a TV show that'll be a hit. And I think that that's a misconception for a lot of people that have these shows, is because... Really, you just want the show to continue for one reason and one reason only, because it allows you to keep doing what it is that you're interested in doing that you're going to be doing even if there is no other television show. It's just that doing it for TV makes it easier for you to get access to these places, and, and makes it you know, it's better if you're traveling on their dime instead of your own. But in the end, you're not going to compromise what it is that you've done all your life leading up to this and all you will be doing for the rest of your life after this that it's going to be worth you know, putting that uh, on the line just to make uh, you know, a good episode of television.
3: Yeah, in fact, we uh, clashed heads, or clashed something or other, with uh, uh, several of the uh, producers and stuff first season, because frankly, I mean, um, a lot of these paranormal shows are complete nonsense, and the people on them are actors, um, but Animal Planet, I guess, made the mistake of hiring real Bigfooters, and, um, and Animal Planet and Discovery are wonderful people. They never asked us to do anything um, superficial or, well, uh, artificial, I guess is a better term for that. Um, but first season of the show, they edited a couple episodes together to make it look like we saw Sasquatches. Like the editors did that because their interest is to make TV. And, of course, when we saw it, we said that that didn't happen. So we just went to our blogs and our Facebook and told the truth. And then, um, then you know, all hell broke loose, basically. Well, I thought, um, I, thought and, I
0: read somewhere that you guys actually threatened to walk if they kept making edits in the way that they did.
3: Yeah, creative editing is not appropriate. Uh, and a lot of people are willing to have that happen for the sake of being on television. But like I said, they made the mistake of hiring people who had a vested interest in the subject. Um, you know, Matt Bobo and I, uh, and, and, and Renee was on our side too. Don't get me wrong. Renee, the, our, the skeptic on the show, she was on our side as well. But Matt Bobo and I, we basically sacrificed our life for the subject. And we had to explain that to uh, some of the powers that be at the, in the earliest stages of the show that um, you know, this show, no matter how successful, is going to come and go in a few years and we'll still be Bigfooting. But if we're associated with hoaxing and lying and creative editing, then all of our credibility is now gone. We don't need to do that. We don't need to be one of those television shows to be successful. And, I, and luckily, the first season was a hit um, and we won. We won that argument because Discovery said, who the world's asking you to lie? They said, you know what? Like, they're they're kind of editing us to make it look like we saw Bigfoot, so we didn't. And they said, okay, well that stops today. What else do you want? Well, we want a camping segment, so we we don't have cameras and producers and sound people following us around. We have a shot of getting close to Bigfoot, just w- one person and a camcorder and me, so two people out. They said, okay, great. What else do you want? We said, well, how about anybody on the producer on any the, of the production team, if they try to hoax us, they're fired that day and they never work for the show again. They get a plane ride home that day or that next day. And they said, done. Like wow. holy so, crap, we won, we won the battle. And ever since, like first season, most of the shows are great. Um, we did not see a bigfoot in Florida; that was a horse. Oh. And um, the thing that they circled in North Carolina, um, cha- run up the hill, was Matt. Um, and they kind of suggest they didn't say anything, but you know they left it open to the, you know the the, the viewer, and really they would interpret that as a bigfoot. But um, ever since those two episodes, when we were so upset about it. They've been nothing but wonderful. And yes, we have, in fact, lost a producer or two over the last five or six, seven years. Um, we have, in fact, sent people home the next day and they have not worked for the show again. Um, and we have, in fact, done done a, a real Bigfoot show. In fact, um, our, 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 a lot of our camera guys and producers, they work on a lot of these other ghost shows. And they all come back and say, Finding Bigfoot is the most real reality show we've ever worked on. And, I, and I, that's a feather in our hat, you know, because it's hard enough to make – it's hard enough to go Bigfooting, but it's also hard to make a TV show. And putting them both together is nearly impossible um, for either purpose, really. It kind of negates both sides of that. But we've done a pretty good job at it, and it's, it's something to be proud of, I believe. You know, we've kept our integrity as Bigfooters, um, and we've made a show that appeals to a large segment of the population – Thus, turning on the next generation of bigfooters, the people who are going to replace me and Bobo and Matt. And stuff. So, and
0: and you brought big, up you brought up an interesting point when you mentioned you know you don't want to be associated with hoaxing because I think in a lot of the and, and I'm going to put cryptozoology into the hat of the paranormal right now and just in terms of saying of all the different aspects of paranormal research of looking into the weird and the strange and the unusual and the unproven and the unknown, I don't think there's any area that's as rife with the reputation of hoaxing as there is Bigfoot. And I think that that's because you've had so many people over the years that have tried to pull these different hoaxes uh, that it has kind of made the general public skeptical of anybody that does this research, and you're already fighting that reputation yourself before you've even made your own name in the field.
3: Yeah, it's a precarious uh, path to step on. Um, And you have to really watch everything you do and and think about consequences of even associating with some people, you know, Um, which is difficult because I'm not one of these people that needs to agree with someone else to get along with them. Uh, Some of my best friends have wild, crazy, in my opinion, ideas about Bigfoots, but they're some of my best friends. Um, I like eccentric weirdos. I like to surround myself with people like that. Um, And But uh, yeah, so it's, it's really difficult it's a difficult path to to proceed down, I think for a lot of people. And, but I'll tell you, I mean, I've got a good reputation in in the Bigfoot community. Um, I, I, I believe at least that's what it seems like. Uh, but it it hasn't been easy to cultivate this, I guess, image because I'm not used to cultivating images. I just do what I do. And luckily people, luckily it resonates with people and I don't find it worth my time to lie or, you know, do anything like that. So I just tell it like it is. And, I'm a smart guy. I'm pretty well-spoken. I can explain myself and why I think things are real. And so far, that's resonated with the community. And I'm very thankful for it because they're – I mean, I'm part of the community. That's not my – I mean, I was i was going to say they're my community, but I'm their community. I'm part of their community. Like right. we're, we're the same thing together, you know?
0: But. Uh- you know, we're talking a lot about ghosts on this show. You know, we we've done numerous episodes on Amityville, which is considered by a lot of people to be a
3: hoax. So, but people, well, I met the kid in the house. Yeah, the kid who lived in that house. Oh, you said not a kid; anymore. he's an adult. Oh, uh, Chris, I met, you met Chris. I, th- I think his name was Chris. Yeah, yep. if I remember right, the Michigan Paracon last.
0: Oh year. yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. He's he's a he's a very cool guy. I, I love spending time with him.
3: Yeah, I like him,
0: but you know, people have already made their minds up about. Amityville being a hoax, but we'll do an episode on Amityville and people will still watch it and listen to it and will comment on it based on the content of the episode of the show. And the same for some of the other things that we have talked about that a lot of people feel are hoaxes. But for some reason, you know, the, the, the Bigfoot shows that people don't even bother. I was saying off the air during the news break, you know. Uh, We had Tom Biscardi on the show and there isn't a week that this was seven, eight years ago, but there's not a week that goes by that we don't get comments on our YouTube channel with that episode of people basically saying that, you know, we must be a garbage show because we had Tom Biscardi on and he's nothing but a hoaxer. But if you would listen to the episode, we were holding his feet to the fire, as Matt Moni said off the air about some of those hoaxes. But nobody's listening to the episode because just that reputation of him has already made people, you know, they've they've basically chastised us by association. So that kind of stuff happens so frequently in your field that, you know, uh, just kudos that you're able to rise above that and be able to, you know, do the good work and be recognized for doing the good work when most people are trying to tune out a lot of the, 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 uh, the people that aren't doing the good work.
3: Well, you know, you said something important there. I think that's a big distinction between, say, nowadays and like maybe 25 or 30 years ago. Um, they, pre-social media, I, I guess is a good way to say it. You uh, said that people, like, they just see that you had Biscardi on and therefore you're the villain and therefore they know all everything they need to know before they listen to the show. Um, whereas you're holding uh, Mr. Biscardi's feet to the fire, as you said, and they wouldn't know that because they didn't bother listening. Um, I find that a lot on Facebook or other things. Like, if I find a really interesting article about something I'm interested in, and I, share, I share it with my public, you know, with, with the folks who are kind enough to follow me on Facebook. And generally speaking, you know, or if I write an article, or write a blog article on something, um, I'll put something up, like a little picture and in like a, one or two sentences. And then people will, underneath will comment or, or ask me questions that if they had read that article, they would have never asked. And, of course, other people chime in and say, well, didn't you read the article or, you know. But I think that we live in such a world now where, you know, the Facebook sort of world where we expect everything immediately. They don't want to invest the time. To actually uh, read it or listen to it or learn anything, because they want it right now, immediately. It's, it's, it's. I think it's a, a maturity level with, uh, um, with, with the culture in general, actually. And and you brought up a symptom of that just a moment ago.
0: Yeah, it's a, definitely an instant gratification culture these days. Uh, but uh, the the good part about that though is the fact that you know. You do, as you mentioned, you know, having social media reach, having that kind of a, of, of a, a footprint in the world—no pun intended—since we're talking about Bigfoot. But having, you know, that that type of a reach and that type of a network that you can build up, all of a sudden, you can go beyond just what you can get out there and find for yourself. You can get beyond just the sightings that you can have, the reports that you can gather, the physical evidence that you can go out there and find. And now you've been able to connect with people around the world that can tell you what it is that they have. And, and it, I would just guess based on what I've seen on the show that what you've been able to do over the last, you know, 10 years or so has only increased your belief that, that Bigfoot is a physical flesh and blood biological creature.
3: Uh, Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, several of my friends who are um, advocates of the paranormal perspective on Bigfoot, um, I tell them, you know what, I I don't have the most experience in the world. I've been doing this for 25 years, um, and people have been doing it longer than me. But from my own observations, I have no reason whatsoever to think that Bigfoots are anything else but a perfectly normal species of mammal. Um, and, you know, other than people say, well, I've only been doing this for three years and I'm positive that they're this or that or interdimensional shapeshifting UFO riding whatevers and stuff. And I go, OK, well, that's fine. But uh, I, if, they, if that was the case, if they were speaking to me telepathically, if they were doing like phasing in and out and doing all these sort of things that people claim, I've been around them more than perhaps anybody else say on, on my block or, you know, the average human have, you know. I've, I've had the opportunity to be in their presence on a number of occasions. Um, Couldn't, Shouldn't they have or would they have perhaps by now reached out in such a way to let me know that I was right. messing with bigger than I think? Um, and that has not happened. And, of course, you know, the other side said, oh, you're spiritually constipated or any number of whatever jabs they can throw at me to vindicate their own perspective on things. Um, but I have to maintain, like, based on the evidence... There's nothing paranormal about them. They're kind of weird in some ways, but that doesn't make them paranormal. I mean,
0: Cliff, you're too nice to say this, so I'll say it for you. And uh, not to speak for you, but I'll I'll say it out out there anyway. And and I say this with nothing but love for Greg Newkirk, because we know that he thinks Bigfoot is a ghost. But I will say this. It's lazy. It's lazy to jump to that paranormal conclusion, because basically what you're saying is you just haven't gone out there enough to, to find physical evidence of these creatures that you have not... Uh, come across enough physical things to convince you that you're just going to make that leap that, it, well, since, since I haven't found anything physical, then it's got to be something metaphysical. Well, no,
3: well, it no, just means no, you haven't found it yet. No, Greg and Dana are good friends. I love them both. The new Kirks in general are just wonderful, splendid people. And, and, and I, I disagree with them. Um, and they have their own reasons for it. But the, the thing, the thing... You know, I'm a Bigfooter, right? But that doesn't mean I don't read counter-arguments. And I just got done reading a book by, by a well-known skeptic named Sharon Hill um, called uh, Scientifical Americans. It's a good book, actually. Um, she's got some of her Bigfoot facts, a little incorrect, a little fuzzy, and um, and she's mostly read the skeptical books, and then those are rife with Bigfoot errors, I should say. But she's done a good job with her critique, and her point is well taken, is that like one of her points in the book seems to be that um, people go to the paranormal because you kind of don't need proof. You can say whatever, and proof actually detracts from your claims in some ways. Um, And I I think that that's kind of one of the problems with the paranormal aspect, is that um, you can say whatever you want, and some of these things are absolutely unprovable at this point in the game, so you're on safe ground. Um, Whereas I don't deal like that. I deal with a biological reality that is a Sasquatch, and therefore the physical evidence is by far the most important. People can tell me they've seen Bigfoots. And yeah, there's some interesting things that could come from that. But really, it's where did you see it? When did you see it? And did it do anything unusual? Those are the only three things that matter nowadays in Bigfoot reports. That you saw one run across the road. Okay, when did you see that? And where did you see it? Because running across the road, that's common. It, but it, so it, the, And that's not physical evidence. And that's why the footprints and the hair samples and the handprints and other trace spore like that, that's where that comes in. And that's what makes it so important because that's what sets aside Bigfooting from paranormal or the religious or the – or parapsychological or whatever word you want to put on it. Um, Bigfooting, there's a biological thing out there because something is making those prints.
0: And not only that, but there's been other types of evidence that's been gathered over the years as well. I know Moniz, you've you've uh, had hair samples before that uh, people have brought to your attention. And
2: yes, hair samples, fecal uh, matter, and other things like that. People don't understand, uh, it, and I'm sure Cliff will agree with me. You can identify a species by the gut parasites and glut, gut flora and fauna found inside fecal matter. So and
0: see, I've always questioned the fecal matter aspect of yours, though, because it was delivered to you in a flaming bag on your doorstep. True. Oh, so oh, I'll come on. But no, that's a that's a good point. And 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 uh, there's been enough cliffs that I think that uh, people have been able to say, all right, but we're not saying that it's that it's definitely a Bigfoot that left this, but we're saying it's not this, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. And when you start eliminating, eliminating enough possibilities, when you're left with only one possibility of it being Something unknown, then that opens the door for it being a Sasquatch creature.
3: I find that a lot of people with physical evidence, like hair samples, don't even want to get it tested, um, and and that's so fascinating to me. It's weird because you know, like I personally think anthropologists and biologists should be right here next to me in this game doing it with me. But even if I'm wrong and Bigfoots are not real, which is ridiculous at this point, I think. But even if even if that is the case, and I'm ridiculous for thinking it's real. Why aren't psychologists jumping in on this? Because I know people who say, oh, I've got hair samples from the one I saw, blah, blah, blah. You should go get it tested whatever. You, and testing is kind of free when it comes down to it because you can tell a lot about the species of animal it came from just by looking at it under a microscope. It doesn't have to destroy the sample. It isn't consumed in some sort of fire chemical mm-hmm. test. You don't have to take DNA out of it or anything like that. You can actually look at it under a microscope and tell what kind of animal it came from in many cases. Not all, but many. But people don't want to get it tested. Because, check this out, and I think this is a psychological psychological parasite in the paranormal and Bigfoot world, is that people have a sample, but they don't want to get it tested. Because, check this out, behind the veil is, as long as I don't get it tested, I have Sasquatch hair. Mm -hmm. But if I do get it tested, it might be something else.
0: Right. No, and that's, I'm sure that happens with a lot of of physical evidence in in these cases is that, you know, it's, you'd rather have the the story than
3: you would the proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I run across researchers like that all the time. People who are saying, I heard the juvenile come off the hill and it was walking around our tent, then it did this on our tent and pulled this, and then it was wondering about this, and then mother called, and all these interpretations... Off of their observation that they heard something outside their tent, right? And as well, was it muddy outside? Yeah. Well, did you look for footprints? Oh, no, no, I don't care about that stuff. No, be, well, you, so, okay, so you just want a story. Okay, I get it.
0: And then the other part of it, too, is, you get see we've had this happen with with ghost research over the years, and I know that it's happening with Bigfoot research too because we talk to some of the people that are out there doing it, not the you know the established groups that have been around or the groups that are you know joining the Bfro and, and following a, in a procedure and following in, a, in an operating uh, you know, a way of going about things, but we see a lot of you know pop up investigators, people who have seen a television show and say I can go out there and do that. And they're usually the ones that are not so much that they're they're hoaxing, but they're the ones that are just kind of they don't have the background enough to know what it is that they're finding, and they don't have the background enough to know how to differentiate. So it seems really obvious when you're watching the television show to say, oh well, you know, these guys think that that sound is a bigfoot making that sound. So when I go out into the woods and I hear a similar sound. I can say that I heard a Bigfoot, when in actuality, you already know, you have a mental Rolodex already of every other sound that you could possibly hear to know what to eliminate, whereas they're just going out there and assuming the first thing that they're hearing is a Bigfoot.
3: I have a couple comments about things you just said. Um, First of all, I wouldn't give myself that much credit because um, (laughs) of a huge, like the whole Rolodex of sound thing – Animals make a huge variety of vocalizations, mm-hmm. and I'm not. I've spent a lot of nights in the woods, a ton of nights in the woods. Don't get, like, I have some experience. Um, but I'm sure coyotes make a sound that I've never heard before. I'm sure of it. Um, I'm sure that Bigfoots make a sound that sounds much like other things. you know. So uh, it's, That's why I don't really chase the vocalization thing so hard. Um, I think that they're super interesting, and it's super useful to find out where specifically a Bigfoot might be wandering around. But gosh, I mean, no one can know every sound that every true, species true right. of owl makes in the woods. Um, and so, I mean, and I thank you for giving me that much credit. But to be to be fair, um, and to be truthful, um, there are things in the woods that I don't know what the hell made that noise. You know, I really don't. I don't think it was a bigfoot or, but you know, foxes. I remember I learned what like uh, a couple oh, weird yeah. vocals that foxes can make. You know, and Bobo taught me that. I'm always learning, and that's part of the reason I do this. Is because as a as a professional educator, you know, I'm essentially a professional learner, is what I am. Um, and I love to learn about stuff. And as far as being in a group goes, you should be aware that I'm not a member of any Bigfoot group. I'm not a BFRO member. Mm-hmm. In fact, Matt Matt is the only person on the show in the BFRO. Um, I know that uh, he loves to have people think that we're on the show, but we're not. Uh, or the, the, the that we're all in the BFRO, but we're not. Um, Bobo's not a member. I'm not a member. And part of that is because I'm not a person to join groups. Um, I don't like groups. I mean, heck, I was kicked out of Boy Scouts at a young <laughs> age. I just don't get along with groups and people in them because um, I'm an individual and I'm strong-willed and strong-minded, and I just don't like following other people's ideas and rules so much, you know? Um, which is great for being an independent Bigfoot researcher because I don't give a darn what anybody thinks of me, which is lovely. But um, I don't I, I don't adhere to any groups. And um, the, some of my best friends in the Bigfoot world, um, you know, are members of groups in various sorts. Uh, John Wilk is great, you know, uh, he's, he's a BFRO member, but really he has his own thing going, Squatchachusetts. Um, Derek Randalls and uh, Shane Corson and those guys from the Olympic Project, um, they have a, their own group going. But the one, the people I love to interact with are these off the radar people who have been doing Bigfoot quietly, quietly under the nose of everybody, and nobody knows about it. Right. Um, two names come to the top of my mind right now: Lori Jo Hamilton um, on the Olympic Peninsula, great Bigfooter, great. She's out there almost every single day, great Bigfooter. She has amazing things coming, and she lets me analyze them, which I, I think are is so. I'm so grateful to her. Or Thomas Shea from Kentucky. Another guy totally under the radar, um, him and his friend Rodney, um, Northern Kentucky Bigfoot Research Group or something like that. Yeah, they, they have a name for it, but it's basically just them. And, um, and those people are some of the best Bigfooters I've ever met. Um, it's the people who are off the radar that don't belong to a group, that don't seek the attention. Those are the people I want to seek out. There's been plenty of people that
0: I've known in, you know, that I've encountered over the years of doing this show that I found out that, you know, they've spent more time researching Bigfoot than they have anything else. You know, that they've kind of just gotten into some of this other stuff because there was other people doing it. And they said, well, let me use my investigative skills to join up with them. But then you find out that they've been doing Bigfoot research all their life, like Moniz, my co-host, for example. You know, here's a guy who came to us to to teach us more about ghosts and UFOs and all that kind of stuff, but then you find out that he has been a very big believer in the physical aspect of Bigfoot creatures for a long, long time.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people not on anybody's radar that have been doing good work finding occasional things like any Bigfooter might um, for a long, long time. And nobody knows about them or that they were involved earlier in the game and they disappeared for a while and they're, they're resurfacing for whatever reason. And it, it, that's the neat thing about being in my position is that I'm very, very high profile. You know, I'm on television and all that other junk, you know. Um, but and so people do occasionally reach out to me who I had never heard before. And sometimes I reach out to other people and, uh, and, and say, hey, I'm that guy in the show. And they say, well, I've never seen the show. And, and that makes me go, that's awesome. I love it. Let's talk. You know, because I'm, I'm not a big fan of sycophants and people who uh, like me just because I'm on TV. Um, because I don't value television. You know, for it, 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 it was a neat opportunity. It's a, it's it's a great great way to make a living, etc. It's a lot of fun, but it's it you know television honestly is a shallow, superficial medium.
0: Right. Most so, most people that I know that are involved in television are using it as a way to open some doors that just wouldn't open to them otherwise. You know, people will people will let you onto their property when they wouldn't let you onto their property if you weren't part of a television show
3: yeah that's the secret to tv it's it's not attention it's not being famous whatever that is and it's not making a bunch of money cuz you don't really do that it, it's about um you know the the access it's like oh you've seen the show and you you have a Bigfoot cast in your garage my gosh, may I see it, please? Yeah, you've never shown anybody that for the last 25 years? Thank you. You know, and it's it's that. It's getting access to things that other people wouldn't normally have access to because, um, you know, like I, I meet so many people and so many of them are so gracious and kind and, I mean, pretty much everybody is. And I realize, it took me a couple of years, but I realize that's because they already have a relationship with me. This may be the first time I'm meeting them. But they have already invited me into their living room every Sunday night with their family for the past four years. Um, And, man, that is such a joy and a blessing to have, to to automatically have somebody's trust the first time I meet them. And they're willing to open up or share something perhaps they've never shared with anybody. Um, And that's the real joy of television is the the connections um, that wouldn't normally be there.
0: I think I heard the American Pickers guy say before that, you know, somebody asked them like, what has changed with their life about being on television? And they said, well, for one thing, it's a lot easier to make these deals when you're spending the, the production company's money instead of your own. And <laughs> then the other thing is when we knock on somebody's door, we don't have to go through the whole spiel of who we are and why we're there anymore because they recognize our faces. And they're like, oh, let me just take you out to the barn. And it saves them all the trouble of having, you know, they, they know right away when they look at somebody's face when they open the door whether or not they're going to want to sell them anything even though they've already been researched. Like, for three months, they already knew they were going there, but we don't have to tell the audience that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of pre-production that goes in. Right. And that's part of the success of Finding Bigfoot, as well as the powerhouse Mm -hmm. team of producers that we had working for us. I mean, uh, you know, Chad Hamill, Nick Crow, all these people, RPG, you know, Ryan is his name, um, working behind the scenes to make all this happen, to give us access to some of the squatchiest locations on private land you could ever ask for, things that have never been uncovered before, or things that were lost to time, like the original 1958 Jerry Crew cast. We didn't find that. Our producers found that. Um, And nobody knew where that thing was. The very, very first known Bigfoot cast from 1958, our producers found it. We didn't, but we get the benefit of their work. And then that's that's another great thing. And you know what, finally, the last thing, that I would like to mention maybe about TV and the joy of being on it is um, editors. I sure wish I had an editor following me around every (laughs) single day because those guys make me look awesome.
0: Right. You're really interesting when you're condensed down to 44 minutes of television. Uh, Just one one more question about television uh, just because I wanted to ask this before we let you go, but what is the current status of finding Bigfoot because I've seen some different things online.
3: Oh, we've been, I've been getting some emails this past week, and I'm not really sure how much I should say, but um, we filmed some stuff last spring, and uh, um, we, we've reached the 100-episode uh, sort of marker, and um, from what I hear, and I don't think I'll be in too much trouble for saying something like this, from what I hear, we can look forward to the new stuff that we filmed last spring being aired um, in just like the next month or two. I, I think the dates are in May, but we, I don't think they've said it, maybe, but um, I, I think... May-ish, give or take a little bit, is when you'll be able to see that stuff.
0: See the the dirty little secret here, and and I'm not a cast member, so I'm not any under any NDAs or anything, so I can say this. But the dirty secret here that nobody's really catching on with, in in the at least in the reality TV fan base world, is there's a huge merger going on with Discovery Networks right now, and they're they're trying to acquire scripts, and so. Nobody really knows, like, what network's are going to stick around and what show's going to be moved to where. So that's why a lot of these shows are in a holding pattern right now, is because we just don't know, like, where things are, how things are going to shake out. So there could be the opportunity for a show to go on animal planet but then also go on travel channel too and, and just kind of expand the audience space and and uh so right now everything's kind of up in the air. So when people are asking those questions like that's kind of I just send them links to all the you know the variety uh website saying you know oh the you know here's the latest on the merger uh, and that's kind of what's holding a lot of this stuff back.
3: Well, yeah, and you know something else to keep in mind is that um, just like the internet um, fundamentally changed the music industry back in the nineteen nineties, that is currently going on in cable television. Oh yeah, right now. yeah. I mean, since even since our show has been on, right, what's that, seven years or eight years or something like that, um, the audience for cable television, whether it's Animal Planet or CNN or what Fox or anything, like has dropped to half of what it once was, and therefore revenue is down. So they're looking at trying to do cheaper shows and the successful shows, um, and maybe we're one of them. We'll see. Like The successful shows will probably be going away, bowing out gracefully, just because the revenue is down and why throw all that money at something big that is successful when you can throw one-tenth the amount of money at something small and still be equally successful. So, yeah, a lot of changes are going to be happening in the next five years in the television game. Um, as people cut the cord from cable and go to other streaming, like streaming, you know, like uh, platforms, whether it's uh, Nick Groff's new the thing, you know, his Haunted Space right. thing, yeah. or if it's uh, uh, YouTube Red or you know Netflix or you name it, there's all these other options now. So people are going away from the normal sort of cable television thing.
0: And then the other, the other dirty little rumor is the fact that you guys actually have filmed Bigfoot, but you couldn't get him to sign the talent release. To actually uh, air the episodes. So, Alright, uh, that's, uh, that's all my TV jokes for one night We do have a, a question on the phone, I believe And if you'd like to call in with a question For our guest, uh, Cliff Brackman You can do so at 508-996-0500 877-996-1420 Good evening You're on Spooky South Coast Thanks for your patience Hello, are you there? I can hear you Hello. Hi, you're on the air with Cliff
4: Oh, hi, this is uh, Professor Eric from the chat room. Oh, hello, hello, Tim. Hello, Cliff, if you're still there. I'm still here. Okay, good. Uh, I have so many thoughts. I have to condense them down into just uh, a couple. Um, my, my first thought is, is it, it seems like every investigative team has their own theories and their own methodologies, and it seems to me it would be useful to bring all of this into some sort of a, I don't know, a database, for lack of a better term, because then, then then you can look for things that are salient across all of the investigations. And it, w- it would help teams to focus on, you know, what, what has worked, what, what has not worked. I think it would lend some credibility to the field in general. Because, I, I mean, you know, there's no shortage of theories, but the evidence is thin. And I'm... I'm really uh, puzzled by people who have physical evidence that don't want to subject it to DNA analysis or something like that. And then finally, as a psychologist, I would love to tag along with these groups, not as a member of the group, but as someone that could sort of, you know, as they're doing their investigation, kind of nudge them along a, a rational, uh you know, path uh at least borrows a little bit from the experimental method, uh, because I'm I'm not a debunker. I just feel like the the, the field is is sort of in disarray. What, what what do you think of that?
3: Well, I think you're absolutely correct. There's a huge lack of scientific methodology in in this and other pseudo like well, I'll say paranormal. Though I do not consider bigfoot bigfooting to be a paranormal pursuit at all. I consider it to be biology. Um, but yeah. But across the board, there's a lack of scientific methodology. There's a lack of scientific education amongst the people who are going for this. Um, but the, as you mentioned, the first point you brought up was, why don't we all kind of work together more or less? And I think that's something, there's something in there about the kind of person that is drawn to Bigfoot, I think. We just don't get along. We're just not like other people. So it's kind of like, I don't know, putting a, putting a bunch of, um, I don't know cannibalistic animals together and say get along <laughs> and you said there's only there's one big one left
4: you know right um, is the, is it's, that, isn't that isn't that where a psychologist could help
3: I think it would be a fantastic idea for you to do a study of just the bigfoot mentality in general you know whether you get someone like me and and or or Dr Meldrum or somebody who's firmly in the relic hominoid um, mindset versus uh, other people who think that they're UFO riding interdimensional shapeshifting whatever things, you know? Right. Um, I don't see why psychologists in, in, are, not, are not chasing this one down, because it's so right. Well,
4: I, I can tell you that if I talk about anything paranormal or any, anything along these lines at the college, uh, my colleagues roll their eyes, so, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an uphill battle, but it's, but it's, it's a battle I fight. I well, you know, I think
3: uh, that, uh, perhaps if you, if you, change, if you change the it, the, it's the it's method possible. of attack, like, you're not studying the paranormal, you're not studying Bigfoot, you're studying the people who do those yes. things. Yes. That'll probably give you free reign. <laughs>
4: yeah, because, you know, I mean, I, I, I did a literature search, and, the I mean, paranormal psychology is almost gone. There isn't a single graduate uh, program left, uh, primarily because nothing paranormal ever happened in a lab, and it never occurred to anybody that the paranormal may not lend itself to lab, you know, to, yeah, just, to yeah. a lab environment. But those those were my comments. I'm
2: well, thank you.
4: i happy to be able to be allowed to come on and make them.
3: Well, thank you so much. Well, I thank you, for, uh, thank you. I love intelligent comments um, from all sectors, so thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, the parapsychology field is almost dead. I think there's one place in England that still has a, a, a namesake for such a study sort of thing. But you're right. This sort of – you can't get a Bigfoot to appear at will, so what are you going to do as far as the lab goes? Well, that's where that physical evidence comes in. That's where the footprint and handprints come into play because you can examine those and give those to experts in the lab and see what they can make of them. Well, you had mentioned
0: uh, earlier that the, the handprint, you you put more stock in that than you do in the footprint. What are some of the reasons behind that?
3: Oh, no, no, no. I don't put more stock okay. in it. What I do is I, I think that that's an overlooked sector of study. In big footing. Like the, the footprint evidence has been kind of beaten to death. Dr. Meldrum, who's a uh, – Dr. Jeff Meldrum, who's a, an anatomist at Idaho State University, um, he has done pretty much all you can say about the Sasquatch foot. Yeah, it's superficially like a human. The, the, the big toe is straight in line. The fancy word for that is adducted. It's not abducted like the other apes. And there's a, a flexibility in the mid part of the foot at the mid-tarsal joint area. That um, you can find the signatures of in the footprints. Okay, what, what else can be said about that? It's human-like, but it doesn't have an arch. It's flexible, like the other apes. It's exactly what would be expected from an animal of that size and shape. And you know, it, it's it's morphologically congruent with what we'd expect. But handprints, almost nobody said anything about handprints. Doctor uh, Grover Krantz, an anthropologist from Washington, who's dead now, unfortunately, he wrote a paper in the early 1970s about it. Dr. Meldrum uh, addressed it in his excellent book, Sasquatch, Where Legend Meets Science. But really, it's just like a, a, a few paragraphs in a chapter, if I remember right. I don't think it's a full chapter. I could be wrong about that, though. So what, what can be said about it? Well, being so high profile as I am, I have a lot of evidence coming to me. And I have a lot of people sh- hey, look what I found. Look at this. You want a copy of this? And so I've, I've collected 15 or 20 different handprints over the years now, which is a fair data set as far as something as elusive as Sasquatch handprints. And, I, and I'm and i just saying that that is an avenue that few people are exploring, partly because the evidence is so rare, and also partly because the name of the animal is Bigfoot. You know, it's not right. Big Hand.
0: Well, but also, I mean, anything that we can do to kind of further along the, the conversation and further along the research and to, to give us one more physical avenue for people to look into, I think, will, will benefit convincing those who still need convincing because I, I think that of all the topics that we cover on this show, we have people who are hard and skeptics of everything that we talk about with some of these more paranormal topics, but they say, but I'm willing to believe in Bigfoot. But then we have a huge segment of people that are willing to believe in, in ghosts and aliens and abductions and all these different things. But then they say, well, thinking that there's a hairy creature in the woods that we just haven't found yet, that's too much for me.
3: And I just I – yeah. I can't understand that, that disconnect. You know, I think that, like, that's where the handprint evidence can be, can be handy, for lack of a better pun. Um, because you look at the footprint evidence, right? And we know about the flexibility in the mid part of the foot because Sasquatches push off on the base of their bed of tarsals and blah, 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 blah. All this like fancy scientific jargon that means that they walk different their foot does different things than ours. And if you look at the footprint evidence, um, whether you're talking about the very, very first Bigfoot, Sas- uh, Bigfoot footprint cast in 1958 – or the stuff from the Patterson-Gimlin film in 1967, or stuff from the Olympic Peninsula in 2015, or stuff from Georgia back in 1997, you go down the list, these footprint casts show the same morphological feature, no matter when they were cast, or by whom, right? Or by who, right? So the, the congruency of the data is astounding in the footprint cast evidence. Well, when I take the handprint cast evidence and I start looking at that, as it turns out, there are similarities and, and similarities between them, but differences between the Sasquatch hand and human hands, and all of those are also congruent. People ask me a lot, like, what's the most compelling evidence for Bigfoot? It's the congruency of the evidence, how it all says the same thing, how it all fits in together. And how the hands, uh, like no matter. Okay, the first handprint evidence was located in 1964. It shows the same morphological features as handprint evidence gathered in 2017. It's the same as true of footprint evidence. The footprint evidence reflects what can be seen in the Patterson-Gimlin film. The flexibility of the foot in the PG uh, in the footprint cast can be seen. In the Patterson-Gimlin film, as well as the elongation of the heel, which would be a necessary biomechanical design of a creature of that size to walk bipedally. So it's the congruency of the evidence, and the longer evidence is gathered and the more congruent it remains, the more people have a a more – these skeptics have a shakier foundation to stand
0: on. And and I love that approach because I've used that same thing to explain ghosts to people when they've said, you know, and I've been a guest on other people's shows and they've said, you know, what's the one thing that you can tell us that's going to make us believe in ghosts? What's the one thing that's like what you need to prove it to other people? And, And I say, there is no one thing. The only thing that you need to see is that it's been happening for years and years and centuries and people have been reporting these things. So there's got to be something to all of that beyond just people making it up and just like with with what you're out there looking there has to be more than just people misidentifying something that they've seen or uh hallucinating something that they've seen there has to be something more to these stories for there to be so many of them
3: it's more ridiculous to think that this is a hoax perpetrated long before european contact by the native americans than to think that there's a real animal walking around what, there. It's clearly a real animal I would, at this point. I would there's not, no no other good excuse.
0: I would not put it past Tom Biscardi to have been here 2,000 years ago faking <laughs> footprints in the woods
3: for the Native I've Americans. never met him. I do not know, I didn't just know kidding. he looked that old. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All
0: right, Cliff. Well, this is just some of the stuff people can uh, expect to talk with you about next, uh, I'm sorry, two weeks from now when you're up here in Massachusetts. Again, squatchatchusets.com is the website if you want to get your tickets to come see Cliff Barrickman when he comes up to Hadley, Massachusetts. uh, There will be lectures. There will be trivia. There will be buffet dinner. There will be Moniz. So make sure that if you are paying for the buffet dinner that you get there early because when they tell him it's all he can eat, he really puts that to the test. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> you can get all your tickets for that at Squatchatchusets.com. And, of course, Cliff, they can follow you on your website, CliffBarrickman.com, as well. And look forward to more uh, episodes of Finding Bigfoot coming up probably in a, in a couple of months.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, you can find me anywhere. I'm pretty uh, prevalent on the web. So look up Cliff and Bigfoot and it goes right to me.
0: Excellent, and uh, we look forward to hopefully having you on the show again. Enjoy Massachusetts while you're up here. Someday we'll get you to come to the Hockamock Swamp with us, and we'll go out there. We'll, we'll find Joe DeAndre, the guy who had the original sightings in the 70s, and we will take you out into the heart of the swamp, and you will say, of all the places that I've been to, this is probably the weirdest.
3: I would love that. The weirder, the better. Sign me up.
0: All right, we'll hold you to that. Have a great night. That is. All right, thank you. That is Cliff Barrickman from Finding Bigfoot. And, uh, again, squatchatchewsets.com. Get your tickets. It's a great deal. $25 yeah. to go hang out with everybody for the night. Uh, $75 is the most expensive package. That's two nights two and, and the buffet. So you you, you definitely want to. <laughs> You're you, counting snacks. You definitely want. We well, didn't get you. I was just going to say. I forgot you? to ask him. Matt, you'll have to ask him well, for us. He's still there. Until next week, <laughs> stay spectacular.